Florentine as you. I know all that's to be known, the Duke rejoined. In this age, and with our manner of thinking, is one halted by such things. Do you think I seek a wife in order to have a mistress? I want a wife that my whims may be served. I want her to veil, to cover an infinite number of little secret debauches the cloak of marriage wonderfully conceals. In a word, I want her for the reasons you want my daughter. Do you fancy I am ignorant of your object and desires? We libertines wed women to hold slaves. As wives, they are rendered more submissive than mistresses. And you know the value we set upon despotism in the joys we pursue. It was at this point that Dursit entered. His two friends related their conversation, and, delighted by an overture which promptly induced him to avow the sentiments he too had conceived for Adelaide, the president's, Dursit accepted the duke as his son-in-law, provided he might become Kerval's. The three marriages were speedily concluded, the dowries were immense, the wedding contracts identical. No less culpable than his two colleagues, the president had admitted to Dursit, who betrayed no displeasure upon learning it, that he maintained a little clandestine commerce with his own daughter. The three fathers, each wishing not only to preserve his rights, but noticing here the possibility of extending them, commonly agreed that the three young ladies, bound to their husbands by goods and homes only, would not in body belong more to one than to any of them, and the severest punishments were prescribed for she who should take it into her head not to comply with any of the conditions whereunto she was subject. They were on the eve of realizing their plan when the Bishop of X, already close-bound through pleasure shared with his brother's two friends, proposed contributing a fourth element to the alliance should the other three gentlemen consent to his participation in the affair. This element, the Duke's second daughter, and hence the Bishop's niece, was already more thoroughly his property than was generally imagined. He had effected connections with his sister-in-law, and the two brothers knew, beyond all shadow of a doubt, that the existence of this maiden, who was called Aline, was far more accurately to be ascribed to the bishop than to the duke. The former, who, from the time she left the cradle, had taken the girl into his keeping, had not, as one may well suppose, stood idle, as the years brought her charms to flower. And so, upon his head, he was his colleague's equal. And the article he offered to put on the market was in an equal degree damaged or degraded. But as Aline's attractions and tender youth outshone even those of her three companions, she was unhesitatingly made a part of the bargain. As had the other three, the bishop yielded her up, but retained the rights to her use. And so each of our four characters thus found himself husband to four wives. Thus there resulted an agreement which, for the reader's convenience, we shall recapitulate. The duke, Julie's father, became the husband of Constance, Dursette's daughter. Dursset, Constance's father, became the husband of Adelaide, the president's daughter. The president, Adelaide's father, became the husband of Julie, the duke's elder daughter. And the bishop, Aline's uncle and father, became the husband of the other three females by ceding the same Aline to his friends, the while retaining the same rights over her. It was at a superb estate of the duke, situated in the Bourbonnais, that these happy matches were made, and I leave to the reader to fancy how they were consummated and in what orgies. Obliged as we are to describe others, we shall forego the pleasure of picturing these. Upon their return to Paris, our four friends' association became only the firmer, 
And as our next task is to make the reader familiar with them before proceeding to individual and more searching developments, a few details of their lubricious arrangements will serve, it seems to me, to shed a preliminary light upon the character of these debauchés. The society had created a common fund, which each of its members took his turn administering for six months. The sums, allocated for nothing but expenses in the interests of pleasure, were vast. Their excessive wealth put the most unusual things within their reach, and the reader ought not to be surprised to hear that two million were annually dispersed to obtain good cheer and lust's satisfaction. Four accomplished procuresses to recruit women, and a similar number of pimps to scout out men, had the sole duty to range both the capital and the provinces and bring back everything, in the one gender and in the other, that could best satisfy their sensuality's demands. Four supper parties were held regularly every week in four different country houses located at four extremities of Paris. At the first of these gatherings, the one... Ex